So as you've already heard, Camp Week, we got to see a little fun taste of it. It was great. I was into all of it except for the spiders and snakes, uh, but uh, that might just be me. I think my daughter had the best day that day. Uh, she loves them. But this week, uh, we took our kids to what is our version of Monument Valley. And as we went there, we explored a number of lessons that stemmed out of the life of Joseph. Now, there's a bunch of Josephs in the Bible, and so the one I'm talking about is the one from the Old Testament who inspired uh, what many of us might know as the musical called Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Uh, you know, Donny Osmond, if you remember that. It's been done on many high school stages since. I'm not sure it's a little inappropriate, but it happens. But this is a story that takes place and it recaptures what happened thousands of years ago in the life of one man who went through some sort of desert places. And that's why I think it was perfect that we centered on the Monument Valley as our sort of setting. If you don't know much about the Monument Valley, it is a desert that stretches from Utah to Arizona. And it's sort of the backdrop that you would picture if you picture many John Wayne movies. Or if you are like me, you picture this famous scene from one of my favorite movies, which is Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump in his bearded scene ran across the Monument Valley with people chasing after him. This is a, a sort of quintessential desert landscape that's used in movies all the time. And it really was that perfect backdrop because I think a lot of us go through times like Joseph did where it just feels like we are going through the desert. Where life just feels dry and hard. Maybe it feels like life is everywhere else but where you are. And uh, that was what happened with Joseph. Joseph lived a pretty tough life at many points, and not always because of his doing. Actually, oftentimes he ended up in sort of desert places because of the choices and actions of others, and then he had to figure out how to live from there. And so as we talked to the kids about this, we talked about how the fact is that God is always in control even when we don't always see him. And we talked about how God is good and how he loves us and how he takes care of us in every situation, in every place, because he is in control. And that lesson is one that I think we all need to hear, not just the children. And in fact, sometimes I think as adults, we need to focus on that, especially because we are out on our own and don't have always mom and dad, grandma and grandpa to fall back on. And so today I want us to sort of go through what the kids went through this week. We're going to take a bit of a hiatus. We're going to come back to uh, our journey through the book of Acts next week. And actually, this is going to pair perfectly because next week we're going to be looking at somebody who went through an awful tough time as he was martyred for his faith. And so this will pair nicely with that. But if you've got a Bible, you can join me in the book of Genesis where we see the life of Joseph. Now, as you're flipping there, I want you to consider what has your life looked like for desert places? Are you in one right now? Have you been through one recently? We've all had them. Maybe it's a tough time at work. You just get that manager or boss who's just brutal. Maybe you get passed up for a promotion that you rightfully deserve because someone made their way to weasel in there. 
Sometimes we have desert places financially. I know a lot of people feel this way right now as we're seeing inflation go and things are getting tougher in the market and we go, wow, this is really hard to get on by. Why is this happening? I think every one of us will be able to relate to parts of Joseph's life where he goes through desert places relationally. You know, some of us go through trouble where we're distanced from our family, whether we're estranged from parents or siblings or kids or grandkids. Some of us maybe have a desire for a relationship that's never materialized, or we have a broken friendship that just doesn't seem like it can be repaired. And as we go through those situations, I think sometimes we sit there and wonder, where is life? Where's the oasis that I want so badly? I'm so sick of things being so tough, dry, and hard. And that's where we're going to look at those moments in the life of Joseph. Now, normally as we go through the Bible, we just study a few verses at a time, but because we're not Netflix and I can't do a previously on sort of segment, the budget's not that big, we're going to instead go through the whole life of Joseph. And so today, I'm not going to read it all, So, uh, um, but we're going to go from chapter 37 to chapter 50 of Genesis, and we're going to see so, and stop in sort of these three significant desert places that Joseph finds himself in. Now, when we open up and start meeting Joseph for the first time in chapter 37, we meet this guy who's a son of the hero of the faith. There's this guy, Jacob, and when you are uh, from Jewish descent or a Judeo-Christian perspective, you might know this guy. He's the guy who the nation of Israel comes out of. In fact, in the Bible, he's known not just as Jacob, but also as Israel because his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel as the nation was established. And so we know that Jacob had 13 siblings. It was him, 11 brothers, and one half-sister. And these people would eventually go to establish this great nation who would thrive at different periods and struggle in different times. And they would work together and they would work apart all throughout history. And we see that stretching from way back then even to now where there's some sometimes great things that happen in that nation and sometimes some great division that occurs. But when we first meet Joseph, we find out that things are not going good in the family. And the reason things aren't going in the good in the family is because of Jacob's love for his son, Joseph. In Genesis 37, verse 3, we read, Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Favoritism in family doesn't normally go very well, right? But he loved him because he had been born to him at this old age, and he, so he made an ornate robe for him. And when his bro- Joseph's brothers saw this, they saw that their father, father loved him more than any other, so they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. So Joseph becomes the favorite son. He's the one who's born in the old age. He has dad's attention maybe because dad's not so busy working and slaving away. Dad's not going through some of the tough stuff that he went on and went through in his earlier years. And so he gets time to spend with good old dad and dad loves him for it. And dad says, you know what? I'm not just going to call you my favorite son. I'm going to show it to everybody. So he makes him this wonderful, ornate robe, and he puts it on his shoulders, and he says, I want you to wear this coat. 
so everyone knows who you are. Now, obviously, this can't sit well. I mean, Joseph's got 13 other siblings, 11 brothers who are all older than him, a half-sister as well, and they look and they're just like, come on. But not only is it dad's favoritism that takes part and starts to take a hold of hardening their heart, but Joseph kind of steps into something because God reveals something to him. God works in a lot of people's lives in different ways, but in Joseph's life, he would work through dreams. And God would speak to him and show him things, and God would also use him to help interpret other people's dreams. But in this case, what God did is he spoke to Joseph and said, one day, all your brothers will honor you. Now, Joseph could have taken that dream and kept it to himself, which he maybe probably should have, but instead he decided to tell the whole family, hey guys, God gave me this dream. And not only am I going to be wearing this fancy robe, but one day you're going to be all bowing before me while I'm beside a throne. Oh, Joseph, come on, man. Like anybody who has a sibling knows, bad move. But they start to hate him, and they hate him so much that they decide they want to kill him. So one day while they're all out working, Joseph's hanging out at home with mom and dad, and he's getting some favoritism, and then he gets sent out to the fields to go be with his brothers. As he walks up, they can see him a mile away. I mean, he's got this ornate robe, and so he's easy to spot. And this is what happens in verses 19 to 27. The brothers say, here comes that dreamer. Come on now, let's kill him. <laughs> let's throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of that dream. Now, when Reuben heard this, this is one of his brothers, he tried to rescue him from their hands. He said, let's not take his life. Don't shed any blood, throw him into a cistern instead here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue Joseph from them and take them back to his father. So, so Reuben hates his brother a little less than the others. So when Joseph came up to his brothers, they decided to act on this, and so they stripped him of his robe, the ornate one that he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into a cistern. Now the cistern was empty, so they didn't drown him. There was no water in it. It's nice that they included that, but as they sat down, so here we have Joseph's stuck in a cistern. His brothers have thrown him down the well, and they go sit and have a meal. What are we going to do? They look at each other, and they say, We're, we've got to act. We've got to know what to do. Reuben's thinking, hey, let's take him back to dad. The other brothers are going, no, 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 we've got to do something else. And this is when a caravan comes up, and we read in verse 25 that they look up, and they see this caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spice, bombs, and myrrh, so they're, they're traitors on their route down to Egypt. And so Judah, one of the older brothers, says, he says, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come now, let's sell him. At least then we get some money. We're not going to lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. There's some inner working and turmoil going on here, obviously. We're not going to kill him, but we'll sell him. <laughs> we'll sell him into slavery. So, and so they sell him to these spice traders who are on their way to Egypt to come and deliver things and trade and eventually travel who knows where else. And they say, oh, Joseph will be fine. He'll live with them. It's not going to be good. So he's finally going to get a taste of his own medicine and making other people feel not so great. But we'll send him on ahead with the Ishmaelites. Now imagine being Joseph's position right here. I mean, you are so loathed by your family that they would sell you off into slavery. This isn't putting him in a, a dead-end job. This is putting him into a life of subjugation and punishment where we, he will have no choice of his own and he will always live at the lowest place. 
I got to imagine as Joseph's going through this, he's sitting there wondering, why is this happening to me? Maybe he's sitting there thinking, God, you gave me this dream. Why is this taking place? I thought my brothers were going to love and honor me, but instead they trade me off for a few bucks so they can go on with life without me. This is all taking place while he's only 17 years old. He's not an old man. He's 17 years old, and he's being led off by foreigners to another foreign place he's never been, hated by his brothers. That's a desert place. I think many of us can identify, even if not to the same extent, of being in a place where we have a disconnection from someone else we love. Perhaps where you've been in a relationship where other people have rejected you, even though you don't understand. This is what's going on. And so he ends up going not just down in a cistern. He goes down into a deep, dark place. And from there, he's not just led to one desert. He's led to another. We find out that as they tr these spice traders end up traveling down south, we, they end up coming to Egypt and they say, let's unload this guy so we can make our profit back. So they sell their spices, they sell everything that they, they had brought down to Egypt, and along the way they decide that they're going to sell Joseph to an Egyptian man named Potiphar. Now Potiphar is a wealthy guy. The Bible tells us in Genesis 39 that he is an official for the Egyptians. So he's, he's, a, he's in the upper class, he's got the creme de la creme of society, and he decides to take on this young man, because as we find out later, he's well-built and handsome, a good guy to have for a slave in your nice house, in your nice place in society. And so Potiphar brings Joseph on in. And things start to, to actually start to look up. We're told that what ends up happening in Genesis 39 verse 4 is that Joseph found favor in the eyes of Potiphar and became his attendant. So this is like the, the top level in the house. Like if you were a slave, this is the best place to be. We see that Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything that he owned. So Joseph, even though he was in this tough desert place said you know what I'm going to do I'm going to live with some integrity you know what I'm going to do as someone who follows after God I'm going to do the best I can to be faithful in the place that I find myself and so he starts to work for Potiphar and apparently he's a very smart guy and a guy with great integrity and he's a gentleman who clearly has a good worth ethic because he gets promoted very quickly from the brand new slave all the way up to being a favorite this happens in just the course of a couple years now, we would think that Joseph would say, finally, I'm on top again, but this just ends up bringing some more problems into his life. Potiphar has a wife who wants what she wants, and she sees this well-built, handsome young man, and she says, there's my new boy toy. The problem is, Joseph's knowing this ain't right. And so Joseph says, no. And Potiphar's wife comes to him time and time again, and she says, no, I want you with me. And Joseph says, no, this isn't right. You're a married woman. This isn't what God would want for me or for you. And so I'm going to stay away from this. And this builds and builds until one night Potiphar's wife puts on this elaborate situation where she sends everybody else out of the house and she's going to lure Joseph in. She's finally going to have her man. But Joseph leaves. Joseph's like, I'm going to get out of here so fast that he leaves his coat. Another coat, 
another problem. The first one ends up sending him in down a cistern and sold off into slavery. This coat instead lands him into prison. Potiphar's wife says, fine, if I can't have you, no one's going to have you. And so she takes the cloak to Potiphar and she says, look what your man tried to do to me. He started undressing in front of me. And then when I started to scream, he ran out of the house. Well, of course this isn't true. These are false accusations against the man. But Potiphar, being this official, there was, could not stand this. He's like, there is no way that this is going to take place in my house. And so he sends him into prison. Now, we think prison's bad today. Prison was a whole lot worse back then. He would have been locked away in a desert cave, stuck there to dwell and work and do nothing but suffer. And so Joseph finds himself stuck down in jail with no creature comfort. And surely he's got to wonder, what on earth is happening to me? God, why would I be here? How come wrong keeps coming my way even though I'm doing everything that's right? Even though I'm doing everything you tell me to do, even though I'm living faithfully, why do I continue to suffer? That'd be what I'd be saying. I'd probably have a pretty bad attitude. If I'm honest, if I was Joseph, I would probably be kicking and screaming and trying to cause other people to suffer. But Joseph doesn't do this. Joseph's a man with a great character. And instead what he does is he puts his nose to the grindstone. He lives with integrity and faithfulness. He does what he's going to do. And we find out that the prison guards end up respecting him so much that they leave him alone. They say, you know what, we're going to let you do your thing, Joseph, and we're going to allow you to have a little bit more movement and comfort because you're such a great guy. Now, while Joseph sits in jail and kind of goes about his business and probably has a bunch of work to do, he begins to make some friends. And two of those friends who end up coming in are people from the Pharaoh's royal work party. And these guys end up coming down into jail and they end up living with Joseph. And one night these guys have dreams. And these are dreams that are given to them by God for Joseph to interpret. As I said, God sometimes would use Joseph and speak to him through dreams and he'd speak to others through Joseph's interpretation of those dreams. And so these two dreams get interpreted and when these men are finally released, the things that Joseph had to say came true. Now, these guys are no slouches. These guys are upper men in Pharaoh's house. And so we know that things must have been great, right? These guys are surely going to break him out. These guys are surely going to help him find a place in Pharaoh's house. But as we find out, one of the men is executed by Pharaoh and the other forgets him altogether. Joseph, who? I didn't spend time in jail. What are you talking about? I was just gone out of town for a few weeks. You just didn't see me while I was on vacation from Pharaoh's house. I don't know what he said, but we know that he did not do anything to do with Joseph. Imagine being in that place where you have served time and time again, where you've tried to just help out others, and you're just left alone and forgotten. Some of us can recognize that. Like I say, you know, some of us have maybe been 
passed over for promotions. And you've worked and you've earned favors and you've been a co-worker and then someone ends up ahead of you and then they forget you ever exist when they end up on the next floor of the building. That's what happens here. And so for two years, Joseph sits all alone with his friends having abandoned him after he's been wrongfully accused for a crime he didn't commit, after he's been sold into slavery by a brother. And he has to sit there and wait until one day God intervenes in his life and God gives Pharaoh a dream. And no one can interpret it. Pharaoh knows there's something to this dream, but I, I can't figure out what it is. What, there's just something to it. And so he calls all his wisest people, people who maybe would dabble in this sort of thing. And he says, tell me what this means. And they say, we have no idea. That's when this friend of Joseph's from prison who had had his dream interpret happens to come into one of the conversations and says, actually, Pharaoh, I know a guy who might be able to help. Oh, yeah, I remember this guy now. Oh, yeah, 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 he's in cell block number four. His name's Joseph. You might want to go get him. And so Joseph ends up getting brought up to the Pharaoh's garden. He ends up interpreting this dream about how there will be a famine that will come. At first, there's going to be seven years of plentiful harvest, and then there's going to be more that will come where the people will be in trouble. And so Joseph tells them, there's going to be, you got to have a game plan for this Pharaoh. You want to take care of your people. You want to take care of yourself and your kingdom. Let me help you out with this. And Pharaoh sees Joseph is not just a well-built, handsome young fellow, but he's also incredibly wise and God has gifted him. And so he says, come on up and come into my family. And he makes Joseph the number two guy in all of his kingdom. And he says, I want you to take care of it as God has shown to you. And so what does Joseph do? He ends up taking care of the whole of his country. It's this beautiful picture that we see through the life of Joseph. And in a moment we'll come to where that all brings him. But I want you to think about your desert moments. What do you do when you feel like life is out of control? What do you think about God and your circumstances? I remember going through a particularly tough time when I was in uh, my mid-teens. I ended up with a sickness that was not able to be diagnosed. We think we know what it is now all these years later, but for quite a long time, I ended up at about 15, 16 years old, throwing up every single day, at least once a day, and I started to waste away. I couldn't eat enough, I couldn't stay, stay healthy enough, and I lost about 70 pounds. Now, I've always been a bit of a bigger guy, but when you're 15 or 16, that is not a good situation. I go to doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist, blood test after blood test, and they had no idea what was wrong with me. They would just say, you gotta keep going, you gotta keep going, you gotta keep going, and I was just wasting away. I'd throw up till I passed out next to the toilet most mornings. And I'd get up when I could. My dad would clean up and I'd be sent off to school. Throw up along the way, maybe something else, and I struggled. And that was a really difficult time, let me tell you. It was nothing like what Joseph went through of being in prison and being in these destitute situations. But I went to this place where I would sit and go, why? 
Why, God, why? I can't play basketball when I'm like this. I can't spend time with my friends when I'm like this. I'm struggling with my studies because I'm missing classes. Why is this happening to me? And I never actually got the answer in that season. It wasn't until much later. But I had to consider, and I was challenged all through going through that with what I would do. And I actually really am appreciative of this woman from my church who I call Grandma Joyce. Grandma Joyce was this dear little old lady who was a grandma, an actual grandma to one of my friends. And she would come alongside of me and she would pray for me. And she ended up encouraging me. She said, Kyle, when you're going through tough situations, what we read about in the Bible is that all you can do is trust God and be faithful to him. She said, if you continue to do that, if you struggle through it, what you will find out is that one day God would use it. And that's what I found in the life of Joseph. In the life of, of Joseph, what we end up seeing is that as, God, as Joseph goes through all of these circumstances, what happens is that God works in the background. We actually don't read a whole lot about what God's doing until the end in chapter 49 and 50. We see that what ends up happening is that God has worked through all these terrible situations that others have meant for bad for Joseph, but really he meant good for Joseph and all his people. Because as Joseph would be betrayed by his brothers, as he would be wrongfully accused by Potiphar's wife, as he would be forgotten by uh, the cupbearer, he would end up being left and moved and put in different situations that one day would lead him to being in power and authority. And it wasn't about him having money. It wasn't him about him having the best clothes. It wasn't him having creature comforts. It wasn't about him being the best guy or the most knowledgeable or the guy who got all the power and authority. What God did is he worked him into this place that he was able to save his own people. You see, God had made a promise to his people right from the beginning of the establishment of the nation of Israel. And he said, I will care for you always as long as you follow me. And what happened is, as Egypt went through that famine, so did what is now the nation of Israel and Palestine. And so what happened is, Joseph's brothers, who he'd been sent away from, end up coming down to Egypt because they heard that somebody in the Egyptian authority had had the wisdom to capitalize on storing up all the grain during those years before the famine. They had no idea that it was their brother. But what happened is, God orchestrated all this to take care of his people. And in the end, what Joseph ends up saying in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says this, he said, you intended harm for me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. A lot of us will go through desert places never knowing what to do and where to go except for the fact that we are called to trust God and be faithful. And if we're people who follow Jesus, what we need to do is learn to trust in that. What I learned from my sickness was that one day God would use that to give me compassion and empathy for people who are struggling with health. He would use that story to allow me to connect and to relate to people who were going through things and needed to learn how to be faithful to God through difficult circumstances. 
There's a promise in the scripture in Romans 8, 28 that says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. I'm not going to lie, though. The life of Joseph, the situations that I've been through, even trusting in this promise can be difficult. I mean, if we're, if, if we're really honest, it's really difficult to trust God in those places. But we can and we should. Because as we look at the life of Joseph, as we look at the life of all sorts of other historical figures that we read about in Scripture, as we even see it maybe in the lives of other people who are here, we can see that God delivers on a promise. That though we will go through hard things, he will take those times and work them together for his good and for the good of those who try to follow him. This is a really powerful message that I think the church needs to embrace. I think we need to learn to, to live and to follow in this way. But it's also for all of those of us who don't yet follow Jesus. The life of Joseph, the story of what he went through, is meant for you to see how God can provide. You know, one of the reasons we can trust in this and we can even trust in God in the midst of our difficult circumstances is because God did not keep himself aloof in this. But instead, God has gone through the very same things. Sometimes we think that God is often distant, that he is immune to anything that is painful, but the truth of the matter is that when God saw the brokenness of the world, when he saw people in desert places, he intervened. Scripture tells us, the Bible tells us, that every single one of us who has done wrong, has brought hurt, and has failed to live up to a perfect standard. And we all know that. The Bible has a, a, a technical term for it, which is called sin. Literally translated means that we've all missed the mark. And because we... Because God is perfect and because we all miss the mark, Scripture tells us that we will all end up in a spiritually dry place. And that's not just now, but that's for eternity. It tells us when we sin, we are separated from God and that if we die physically before we're reconciled to Him, that we will live without Him in a terrible desert place for all of eternity. But God not being satisfied with that, God out of his love for the people in the desert place finds ways to intervene in the desert and to work things for our good. And so God sent his son Jesus to enter in to a desert place for us. As fully God, fully man, Jesus came to earth to live a perfect life, to go through the most horrific desert places. Jesus was wrongfully accused for crimes he did not commit as he was abandoned by family and friends. He was mocked and beaten and experienced the worst death of being crucified. Then when he died, he experienced separation from God for three days until he rose again. God empathizes with us in our desert places because he knows what the worst desert places could look like but he doesn't just sit with empathy he provides 
us a solution. When Jesus rose back to life, he said, anyone who would believe and trust in me and would follow me with all of their life, I would work everything together for your good. Spiritually. I will bring it all together and bring you into my family. I will adopt you as a son or daughter who's been rejected. I will take you in even though you've been woefully wrong and willfully denied me. If you would accept me and follow me, I will bring you in. And God will turn our desert place into an oasis. That way when no ma- anything goes wrong, no matter what we face in this world, we will have somewhere to go with someone who's always present. My experience has been that even in my toughest times, when I can look to Jesus and when I can think, consider what he has done, I can get through it. Because I know that there's more. And I can trust in this promise that there's more in story. And it's not empty because Jesus has already delivered on his promise. And so I'd encourage every single one of us to consider if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus to experience the best of spiritual places. If you haven't, I have encourage you to take an opportunity today to just commit yourself to loving God and to following him and seeing what he can do with all those desert places. For those of us, though, who are already following Jesus, I would encourage you to consider how you're going to respond to what you're going through right now. How are you going to respond to those difficult aspects or relationships or financial places that you're facing today? Are you going to do what most of us would inherently do, which is to kick and scream and fight with God? Are you going to sit there and point your fingers at him and get angry with the one who loves you? Or instead, are you going to commit yourself to serve faithfully the way Joseph did, and an even bigger picture and better picture, the way Jesus did. Jesus knew what he was coming to do. Jesus knew that he would suffer, and he knew exactly what it looked like because he knew the plan from the very beginning. And even though all of that faced him, he said, I'm going to trust you, God the Father, and I'm going to follow through. Will you do that? Well, I do that. That's what we're called to do. Will we look at those people who are attacking us or rejecting us or denying us for something and respond in the same way that Joseph did, saying, you might have intended harm for me, but God will use it to accomplish good? The good news of the Bible, the even better news of a relationship with Jesus is that through that, what God has done for Joseph, he can do for me and you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you are a God who loves us. I thank you that you are a God who cares for us. God, I thank you that you are a God who intervenes in our world, that you aren't just aloof, that you aren't just out there somewhere in the cosmos who just sits back and watches and relax, but God, that you intervene. God, I thank you that you have the power to take difficult things and turn them into something that could be good. 
God, I thank you that you are in control, that you are everywhere, and that you always will love us. God, I pray for every person here who has not yet followed you. God, I pray that even today they might just say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising for me. Help me follow you. God, I pray that no person would leave this place without a saving relationship in you so that they wouldn't have to go through tough and dark places alone, but that they would have you with them and always know that they have a source of hope. God, would you make us as a church people of character and conviction? Would you help us to model your life, Jesus, so that when even tough stuff comes, we would just face it head on saying, I trust you, Heavenly Father. And then would we be able to push through and pursue you in the face of everything? And God, through that, would you be glorified? God, now as we turn our hearts in song, God, I, I, I pray that the words that we would sing about the reasons we love you, about the hope that we have and about how we can live, Lord, I pray that these wouldn't just be words that we would sing because they're on a screen and there's good music but god that we would be able to step in and sing them with conviction because we believe it in our heart and for those who can't sing with conviction god i pray other singing would allow them to have that that trust and that confidence in you as well so god we thank you for all of these things we thank you for who you are and we pray this in jesus name amen